0: Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Kat, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. And now here's Pastor Michael Kat. Nehemiah is probably the greatest book ever written on leadership. In fact, I think it is, because it is a book inspired and inerrant. It is written by a man. Who was inspired by God to write down what had happened in his own life. And uh, this is a year for us to look at some things that Nehemiah is going to deal with. And as we look at these, I want us to look at how we get God's wisdom to do his work in his way and according to his will. Now, there are a lot of things that this book covers. It covers with uh, how you're supposed to lead in the area of prayer, how you're supposed to lead when you deal with attacks personally or professionally, how you're supposed to lead out in influencing other people. Now, you may say, well, you know, I guess I don't have to come on Sunday mornings anymore because I'm not a leader. When you talk, does anybody listen? My wife doesn't and my kids don't, but uh, when you talk, if anybody listens, you're a leader. If anybody heeds any word that comes out of your mouth, you have influence. And leadership is influence. And so what I want us to do is talk about how we are to lead as parents, as employers, as employees, as people who work in the corporate world, in the business world. If you're a salesperson, if you're a mom or a dad, if you're a young person in school, whatever area of life, where you have influence, how you can do a better job of using your Christian witness in that environment, how God can use you to make a difference. And so the first thing I want us to do is lay a little background here, and I want, to, I want you to ask yourself three questions as we look at the book of Nehemiah. In fact, you should ask yourself these three any time you're studying a book of the Bible. They're very simple questions. What did it mean then? What did it mean then? What, what was the context? What was going on? Who were the people involved? How were they acting? How were they responding? Was there a crisis? Was there a miracle? What did it mean then? Second question, what does it mean now? So why should we study this book? Why should we look at this? What's it got to do with living in January of 1998? And thirdly, and the most important question is, what does it mean for me what does God want to say to me personally out of this book? What does God want to say to me out of this passage? And so we begin in verse 1 of Nehemiah chapter 1. He tells us in verse 1 who he is and where he is. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Halakiah, now it happened in the month of Chislev in the twelfth, twentieth year when I was in Susa, the capital. Now here's what he asked. He said that Hananiah, Hananiah one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. And they said to me the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. Now it came about when I heard these words I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now before we get into this passage, and this is just introduction today, you'll understand that, I want us to look at six leadership principles that you need to understand. If you're going to be a spiritual leader in your home, if you're going to be the kind of leader that God wants you to be, and remember, you have to listen to this with the understanding that every one of us are leaders. We all have influence, the youngest and the oldest. We all are influencers. Then you need to understand these principles. Number one, nothing significant happens apart from strong leadership. Nothing significant happens apart from strong leadership. You will never find an organization or a government or a church or any institution that is a strong institution with a leader that says, I believe strongly both ways. Somebody has to have a conviction. Somebody has to have the ability to lead. This is true in life. It's true as you study Scripture. Nehemiah was willing to lead. He was willing to be a strong leader. And You will find as you look through this book that he is an extremely strong, committed leader. Ezra had rebuilt the temple, but now Nehemiah was going to rebuild the walls. Nehemiah is a book that tells us about leadership, and this is why it's important. The greatest problem in America today is a leadership problem. Men not being spiritual leaders in their homes. People not being godly leaders in their work, in their area of influence that God has given them. A nation that is in a leadership crisis. A nation that is crying out for somebody who can stand up and lead. Now, there are all kinds of leaders out there good and bad, but we are in need of strong leadership. The reason that Ronald Reagan is remembered in the 80s, nobody really remembers much about his policies, but when he stood up, you had the feeling that there was a strong leader who wasn't afraid to push any button or make any decision. And so he was respected around the world. He brought things to bear that nobody else had been able to do simply because he gave us the feeling, here's a man who's strong and in control. Now, he may have eaten a lot of jelly beans, but we felt like he was strong and in control. Nothing significant happens without strong leadership. In, G- in the book of Judges, you know there was a crisis. And there was chaos. And the reason is stated for us in the book of Judges on two occasions. And there was no king in Israel. And every man did what was right in his own eyes. Folks, we don't like it in our culture, in our society is moving away from any respect for authority, but there is a chaos when there is no authority. If the police are not respected, there's chaos in the city. If the governor's not respected, there's chaos in the state. If the president is not respected, there's chaos in the country, and it's just left open for whoever has the most influence wins the game. You and I need to understand strong leadership. I love this quote by Vince Lombardi. I won't take time to read it, but I think it is important for us to do it. I do want to read the last paragraph. It is becoming increasingly difficult to be tolerant of a society which has sympathy only for the misfits, only for the maladjusted, only for the criminal, only for the loser. Have sympathy for them. Help them. But I think it's also time for us to stand up for and to cheer for the doer the achiever, the one who recognizes a problem and does something about it, one who looks for something extra to do. Secondly, leadership is influence, positive or negative. Now, when you ask a question about leadership, you have to ask the question, what kind? Because there's leadership in every area, some positive, some negative. Every person is a leader. Every person is an influencer. The question is, are they a positive influence or are they a negative influence? Now, you can think of people right now that when you're around them, it's either positive or it's negative, and you can rattle off their names. You see, leadership is not about titles. Leadership is not about positions. Leadership is not about age. Leadership is about influence, whether it's positive or negative. If Nehemiah had been negative in his mindset, he could have never led those people to rebuild the wall. If all he had seen was the rubble and the rubbish and the burned-down gates and the destroyed walls, he would have said, you know what, this is too big for anybody to do. And nobody would have followed him. Leadership is influence. Now let me just give you a definition of Christian leadership. A Christian leader is someone... With a God given ability and responsibility. I'm going to give you this a couple of times so you can just get key phrases. It's someone with a God given ability and responsibility to influence God's people to accomplish God's purpose for God's glory. It is a person who has influence, ability, and responsibility to influence God's people to accomplish God's purpose. For God's glory, The question you must ask yourself is, am I influencing people for God's purpose and for God's glory? Am I committing my life to doing those things that help to achieve the purpose of God and to bring about the glory of God? That's a Christian leader. The third principle is this. The test of leadership is, are they following? I love John Maxwell's statement, Anyone who thinks he is leading and has no one following is only taking a walk. Are they following? Is anybody following? I did a revival sometime back, uh, and the pastor of the church, bless his heart, every time he got up, he said, "Now." Now, as the pastor of this church, I need to tell you this. As the pastor, I want to tell you. As the pastor, I'm telling you we need to do this. As the pastor, I'm telling you we got to do this. Now, I'm the pastor of this church, and because I'm the pastor, I feel obligated to say, and I'm the pastor of this church, and I've wanted to just go up and just shake him and say, listen, buddy, if you got to tell them, you ain't. If they don't know it, you're not it. It may be on your door, but you're not it. If you got to remind people they're supposed to follow you, then you're not leading. You see, what you ask if you say, I'm a leader, is anybody following? Say, well, I'm the spiritual leader of my home. Is your family following you? I'm the leader in my Sunday school class. Are they doing what you're asking them to do? I'm the leader in this area at work. Are the people following you? That's the question you ask. Are people following? Not because they have to, but because there's a desire and an attitude and a want to in them. Number four. The basis of leadership, and I think this is so important. The basis of leadership is character, not charisma. The basis of leadership is character, not charisma. There's not a word in this book about Nehemiah's personality. In fact, you can't do a personality study on anybody in the Bible. I've heard people do this and say, well, you know, uh, Peter had this kind of personality and Paul had this kind of personality. The truth is we don't know. I don't know whether Nehemiah had a sense of humor or not. I don't know whether he was funny. I don't know whether he was lighthearted. I don't know whether he was tall or short, skinny or fat. I don't know anything about him. I do know he had character. I could study the Word of God and find out he had character. Here was a man with a highly influential position. He was a cupbearer to the king. That doesn't mean he was just a table waiter. He had a very important position. You see, the cupbearer had to taste the wine and taste the food to see if it was poisoned before the king ate it. Now you better have some character if you're gonna put your life on the line because if the king died, you died too if you didn't tell him it was poison. So here was a man who had a p- position of responsibility, a position of great influence, and he was a man of character, and God put him in that position because of his character. My fear in the church, in schools, in business, and in our country, is we're buying into charisma and we're thinking nothing about character. Because a guy looks good on television, we think that guy's a great leader. If he doesn't have character, he's not. I'm reading a great book right now. It's a very, very interesting book. It's a study of the relationship between John Kennedy and Richard Nixon and how Nixon never figured out the media and Kennedy figured out the media and how he learned how to work the media that even when he was deathly sick and the Catholic Church gave him last rites on four different occasions, you never heard about it because it was all about charisma. Now, let me ask you something. Do you buy into something because of charisma or do you buy into something because of character? Don't be sucked in and duped in by the way this world thinks and say, oh man, if it's flashy, if it looks good, if it feels good, it must be of God. Not necessarily so. It has to have character. And if there is any principle that is needed in leadership today, it is the principle of character. Now we won't turn there. It's already listed for you in Hebrews chapter 13. There are three characteristics of godly leaders. Number one, they have a message worth remembering. writer of Hebrews says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. By the way, the only thing I've got to give you is the word of God. Anything that's my opinion is just my opinion. But you're supposed to remember the word of God and what the word of God says to you. And it says that they have a message worth remembering. Number two, they have a lifestyle worth considering. They have a lifestyle worth considering. Consider the outcome of their way of life. You, you, you examine, you check, you make sure that person has character and, and integrity and they have high moral values. That's the characteristic of a godly leader. Not just that they can preach, not just that they can lead, but do they have a lifestyle worth considering? Number three, do they have a faith worth imitating? Imitate their faith. Now, the key is character, and all leaders are different, and leaders have different personalities. The key is not which spiritual gifts you have. You say, well, I have the gift of mercy, so I must not be a good leader. Sure you are. God gifted you to be a part of a body that fits together and works so that the body can function. You say, well, I've got this gift. I don't know how that works. It works. Leadership is not about your spiritual gift. It's not about your personality type. It's not whether you're a high D or a high I. It's not whether you're a type A or a type whatever else you are. Leadership is about character. And every leader is different. Everybody in this church won't do things the same way. If we did, we would all be unnecessary except for one. We're different. That's what makes us unique. That's how God supernaturally does something in a family and in a church is by taking unique people with different gifts, with different abilities, and he puts them all together and says, now this is the way it'll work if it's under the control of the Spirit. They were all different. By the way, here's the number one problem I think that happens when people want to be leaders. They try to be somebody else. Don't try to be somebody else. Be who God made you to be. Don't try to lead like somebody else, just like I don't need to try to preach like somebody else. I, I'm telling you, I, I spent some time, when I first started preaching, I spent some time trying to preach like other guys, and you know, I just found myself coming out. And finally, one day the Lord said, why don't you just let me work through you and you quit trying to be somebody else? You see, God wants to use you, not you acting like and imitating somebody else. God wants to use you like you are with your gifts and with your abilities, with your strengths and with your weaknesses so that he can work through you and sometimes even work in spite of you. It's character. Number five. Leadership can be learned. I believe Nehemiah learned leadership. Here's a man born into captivity, but he's given a position of influence. He's like the chief of staff. He's a top security agent. May have been considered a secret service agent of that time, but here's a man who has a great responsibility, and he's learned how to lead, and when the time comes for the walls to be rebuilt, God's got a man who's not a greenhorn. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to lead. He knows how to make decisions. Leadership can be learned. If you don't know how to lead, you can learn how to lead. You don't know how to teach and lead the Sunday school department, you can learn how to do that. You can be trained if you want to do that. Number six, this is a big one, all leaders are learners. All leaders are learners. I, I would add one to that, that that since I've been studying this passage and looking at it and trying to think about Nehemiah, I would, this is not in Nehemiah, this is just something I would add. All leaders are readers. We are becoming an illiterate society. We've got bookstores. You know that 90% of Christians have never darkened the door of a Christian bookstore. of Christians in America with more resources than we've ever had in the history of Christianity to help us with our faith, we've never darkened the door. Most Christians have never read through the Bible one time. All leaders are readers. You have to read, you have to learn. If I were you, I would make a commitment to read at least one book a month this next year. Now this year, I'll probably read about 175 books. And in that time, I will also read five news magazines a week, and I'll read two newspapers a day. Why? Because I'm trying to learn. Because somebody told me one day that I only use 2% of my brain, and I'm not doing a good job with that. And so I got 98% of space to fill up with something, and I need to do something besides sit there with a remote control and go, duh. I need to read. Don't just buy books and put them on your shelf. Read them. You don't have to read them all at one time. I buy books and sometimes read them. Pick it up a year later and read some more out of it. You buy and you read and you invest. The greatest thing you can do for your children is to teach them to enjoy to read so that they can learn and they can comprehend ideas and concepts and they can get the thoughts of people. Read biographies. Read theological books. Read Warren Wearsby's commentaries. Read John Phillips. Read Lehman Strauss. Just read. Learn. Learn how to do better at what you do. I've got every one of those. goss for dummies, windows for dummies. I've got all of those because they come with pictures and I can read it better. But I have to learn. I'm actually learning how to do some things on my computer. The first three years I worked on a computer, I just tried to cast demons out of it all the time. <laughs> Now I'm actually learning how to do things with it. Leaders are learners. And Nehemiah wanted to find out what was going on, so he asked some questions. Hey, there are no stupid questions. ESPN commercial, there are no stupid questions, just stupid people who ask questions, but that's not true. There are no stupid questions. If you don't know how to do something, ask. Men, we have to learn to be learners. That's why we won't stop and get directions. Because we don't want to learn. We don't want to learn the right way to do it. We'd rather drive around for an hour in the same place. Didn't we pass that before? No, we didn't pass that before. We're doing fine. I know right where we are. Leaders are learners. Do you know more now than you did a year ago? And what's your growth plan to learn more this year? As long as God gives you a sound mind, God wants you to use it for His glory, to renew your mind by learning. Now let's look at the background, and we've got to go quickly. There are three Old Testament books here that cover the same general time frame Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. All three cover this same time period. And, and after, it's after the Babylonian captivity. And Ezra and Nehemiah, interestingly, Ezra and Nehemiah were one book in the oldest manuscripts of the Hebrew Bible. And these books are written. Ezra led the early return to Israel to restore worship and to rebuild the temple. Nehemiah is the rebuilding of the walls in Jerusalem in the 5th century before Christ. Now, I won't take time to go over this because of time, but there are four things that Moses told the people in Deuteronomy 28... Through thirty, That Israel would drive them out, that was in Joshua. They would enjoy the blessings, that's in the book of Joshua. If they were disobedient, they would go into captivity. That was the Babylonian captivity of 586 B.C. And if they repented, God would let them return. That's in Second Chronicles 36, where Cyrus let a remnant return in 538 B.C. This is the background of the book of Nehemiah. You can read uh, that passage in Deuteronomy and then go to Nehemiah and you kind of get the context of how it all happened. Now here's the key. What was the problem? Destroyed walls and burned down gates. Now why was that a problem? Because that was the security system of the fifth century before Christ. If you lived in the city, the only way you had protection from an invading army or from a thief is they would close the gates at night and they would set sentries on the walls. And the walls were the defense system. And so with no walls, although the people had restored worship and they believed God, they didn't say, well, a praise a day will keep the devil away. They still needed walls. You cannot praise your way out of the enemy. The enemy is still out there. You've got to have some protection. They needed walls built. And somebody had to do it. Although the temple was rebuilt and the worship had been restored, and the law had been found, the people were still discouraged because they didn't have the order and the security and the protection that they needed. And so God called Nehemiah back to rebuild these walls. And as he begins listening to them speak about the problems in Jerusalem, about the discouragement of the people, God begins to stir his heart. Now let's look at the commitment he made. How did Nehemiah respond? Contrary to popular belief, Nehemiah did not write, don't worry, be happy. He said, Hey, don't worry about it, you know, you know, the Lord will protect you. Well, I know the Lord's going to protect you, but you better build a wall too. I mean, I know the Lord will watch over and I know the Lord protects, but I bought a security system for my house. So if somebody tries to break in, the alarm goes off and the police come. He didn't say, Don't worry, be happy. He also didn't say, That's not my problem. Nor did he say, it's not my job description. Hey, I'm a cupbearer. God didn't call me to be a contractor. God called me to be a cupbearer, and that's all I'm going to do. That's somebody else's problem. By the way, I will write a check for $5 to the wall restoration fund. That's not what he said. Nehemiah began to respond to the situation, and I want you to notice in verse 4, four very vivid verbs. You can see these verbs coming alive. He wept, He mourned, he fasted, and he prayed. He wept, he mourned, he fasted, and he prayed. He didn't sit down and wring his hands. He began to pray. And one of the reasons why we lack leadership in America today is because it's hard for us to be concerned about anybody but ourselves. We don't see a lost world. We don't see hurting people. We watch the news and we've channeled surf and we've watched so many starving people and see so many children that are, have malnutrition and so many cultures where their teeth are rotting out that we just go by it and it doesn't affect us anymore. It doesn't stir us like it needs to. Nehemiah saw the condition of people he did not know and it broke his heart. Folks, we will be a great mission-minded church when our hearts are broken for people we don't know. When we give 350 coats as we did this year, but when the next need comes, we give 1,000 coats. And when we get to the point, I believe, I believe with the resources of this church, even if we were in a major building program, I believe if God got a hold of our hearts, we could give a quarter million dollars a year to foreign Missions. I believe we could do that but it's going to take us getting a heart for other people. It's going to take us worrying more about putting a coat on somebody's back than Tommy Hilfiger on our body. It's going to take God getting a hold of us and making sure that we're not a walking advertisement for designer clothing, but we're a walking advertisement for Jesus Christ, and we give of our best and our first to others. Nehemiah was concerned. Nehemiah was compassionate. The believer who wants his ministry, D. McCarthy says, to make a permanent difference, must be arrested by a desperate sense of need. I see, it wasn't Nehemiah's fault these people were suffering. It wasn't his fault they sinned against God and they went into captivity, but he had compassion, Jeremiah 15, 5. Who will have pity on you, O Jerusalem? Or who will bemoan you? Or who will turn aside to ask how you are doing? Nehemiah turned aside. He said, how are those people doing? What's going on in their life? How's the city? How's the community? What's the sense that's going on there? Now, a couple of quick things I want to say here, and then I want to get to the three reasons why God chose to use Nehemiah. And believe me, that's short, so you'll get home at a decent time. I'm afraid some folks prefer not to know what's going on because they fear that information brings obligation. And you know what? (laughs) It does. Information does bring obligation. You see, when you and I know of a need, if it is possible for us to meet it, then we have to do it. Information brings obligation. I'm not obligated to meet every need of the world, but I'm obligated to meet the needs that God brings to my attention because God's brought it to my attention for a reason. There's something that has to be done. There's somebody that has to go. There's somebody that has to give. And God has given us a responsibility with information comes obligation. But let me give you this statement. You need to write it down somewhere. Some of you that are employers and you have a hard time getting some things across to your employees, you need this one. Some of you that are parents and you have a hard time getting things across to kids, you need this statement, okay? Here it is. Facts do not cease to exist because you ignore them. Oh, my room's not dirty. Oh, yes, it is. You may ignore it, but it's still dirty. Facts do not cease to exist because you ignore them. Well, if I just ignore it, it doesn't exist. Listen, a fact is a fact whether you want to believe it or not. You can ignore something, but that doesn't send it away. I've seen people try to live in denial. That's living in denial. It's saying, I know a fact, but I want to choose to ignore it. You can't ignore facts. If you do, you could die. Your family could fall apart. Your business could fall apart. You, if you look at a balance sheet and a budget sheet at your business, you know what the facts are telling you. And you and I have to be people who see a need and see a situation and see an issue. Then we have the leadership character to say, now, how would God want me to attack this? How would God want me to deal with this? Now, there are three reasons why I think God chose Nehemiah. Number one, he was sensitive to the needs of others. We've already talked about that a lot. Let me just say this, uh, and then we'll move on from that. He was sensitive to the needs of others. You know, most of the world would love to have our problems. Now, I know there are people in this room with enormous problems, but most of the world would love to have our problems. I mean, there are people in this room, and there are people watching by television. You know what the biggest problem they've had this week? If they were going to be able to get there for their nail appointment. I miss my nail appointment and my nails are just a wreck. The lady who does my hair, she is sick, and I didn't get to get it done this week. Hey, could I send you overseas for a week and let you find out what real problems are? Real problems. You see, we think problems are we're tired of eating at McDonald's every time we go out with our kids. Problems are there are millions upon millions of people that have never had a whole McDonald's meal in a month, and they're starving. That's a problem. Nobody in this room is starving. You see, there are problems, and then there are problems. And we need to be sensitive that the problems that most of us have are not really problems. We just blow them up to make them that way because when we get in conversations around our Sunday school party, we've got to top the person next to us. Well, I was sick two days. Well, I've been sick four. Well, I've been sick six. Well, I, I was sick and I had to go to the emergency room. Well, I had this and that. And, and, you know, I had a flat tire. I had three. We just, we played top the testimony with our problems. You see, Nehemiah was sensitive to the needs of others. Are you sensitive to the needs of other people? Do you, are you burdened by the things that burden God? Is your heart broken by the things that break the heart of God? Number two. He was faithful and dependable. He was faithful and dependable. I just want to ask a question there. Can people count on you? Are you reliable, or do you make excuses? He was faithful and dependable. He was in the right place at the right time, and when the opportunity came to go and do something about the problem, he did it. Number three, Nehemiah was available to the Lord. He was faithful. He was dependable. He was available. Here's a guy who had all the jobs, all the perks, I mean, he had the comfort. He didn't need anything. But he had a servant heart and an unselfish spirit. And I tell you something, folks? Churches too often are looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. Churches too often look for better programs. God's looking for better people. I want to read you this quote, and I want to ask you to stand if you would. You can follow along in your notes in this quote by Richard Ellsworth Day because I think it is a significant quote as we look at the life of Nehemiah. It would be no surprise if a study of secret causes were undertaken to find that every golden era in human history proceeds from the devotion and righteous passion of some single individual. This does not set aside the sovereignty of God. It simply indicates the instrument through which He uniformly works. There are no bonafide mass movements. It just looks that way. At the center of the column, there is always one man who knows his God and knows where he is going. Let me ask you something. Do you know your God? And do you know where you're going? 1998 is a new year, a time of new beginnings. You don't need to make any resolutions. That's all self effort You'll forget all those resolutions. What you need to do is have a new relationship with the Lord that calls you to be the leader that God intended you to be, the servant that God intended you to be, the mom, the dad, the employer, the employee, the husband, the father, the wife, the child that God called you to be. That's what you need this year. And leadership is about character. And the biggest test that you will have in your life will be the test of your character. And your character is revealed in crisis and your character is revealed when you have chances to compromise and you do or don't do it will you this year be the kind of leader that pays whatever price that it takes to do what god wants you to do in just a moment robert's going to come and sing our hymn of invitation wherever he leads i'll go That's not just words to tack on at the end of a service while we're getting our stuff together and making our way out the door. That's a commitment song. Wherever he leads God, whatever you tell me to do, whatever you lead me to do, however you direct my life, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to go there. I'm willing to pay that price. I'm willing to invest myself in other people. Something beyond myself. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to pray this year to do something beyond yourself to do something that is so sacrificial and so incredible and so under the lordship of Jesus Christ that when you look back on your life, everybody will know this year that God had all control over your life. Thanks for listening to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church and Pastor Michael Gatt. For more information about Sherwood, you can visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net If you live or visit in the Albany area we invite you to worship with us here at Sherwood Thanks again for listening and have a great day